This is Queens of the Mines. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of the murderous mail order bride of Tuttletown from 1929. On a ranch on Blanket Creek, near the current Cress Ranch Road, lived Carol and his parents, Stephen, Rablin, and Corinne Brown. They were a well-known family in Sonora whose parents were pioneers during the gold rush. Corinne was the daughter of the late C.C. Brown, a prominent lawyer in Sonora. Carol had been married twice, first to Martha Copeland and second to Eva Young. Neither marriage lasted. While serving during World War I in France, a German shell exploded in Carol's dugout, causing him to lose his hearing. The 34-year-old veteran returned to Tuttletown to live with his widower father. The hearing impairment made Carol too shy to meet a local girl, but he was lonely. So lonely that in June of 1928, Carol placed an ad in a San Francisco matrimonial paper in search of a bride. He stated that he was looking for a woman who would enjoy life with him hiking and enjoying the natural wonders of the Sierra Nevadas. The ad was printed in matrimonial papers across the nation and a 33-year-old waitress in Texas responded. They wrote back and forth. She told him she was a heavy-boned blonde with a twin sister who she called Effie and a son, Albert. About Albert, Eva wrote to Rablin, He has had no father since he was a month old and the father left her and she hasn't seen him. And if a man left her, she wouldn't want to see them again and she would make sure she didn't. It was an odd thing to say during courtship. They continued to write back and forth and it was decided that Ava would leave Texas, come to California and the two would be married. Carol met Ava at the station in San Francisco, and together they traveled to Nevada, where they were married in Reno. Her twin sister, Effie, and son, Albert, soon followed her out to California. Stephen Rablin was not keen on the idea of his son's previously divorced mail-order bride. Stephen questioned her motives. The town was curious. One year after the wedding, the gossiping had died off. Carol had found a job as a clerk with Standard City Lumber, which was being acquired and would soon be called Pickering Lumber, and the couple was living on a chicken ranch in Standard City. The two of them quarreled often and shared a toxic and unhealthy relationship. And when Ava transferred herself as the beneficiary on the $3,500 life insurance policy, that Carol had purchased for himself, his father, Stephen, was alarmed. Stephen Rablin played the fiddle, and a local wedding or party seldom went without Stephen and his brother, John, providing the music. The brothers had been asked to play at a community dance at the Tuttletown Schoolhouse on the 29th of April in 1929. Carol and Eva joined them for the party. Well, Ava did. Carol's insecurities with his hearing impairment kept him from fully enjoying the festivities, and as per usual, Carol waited out the night in the car while his wife 
dance the night away with the people from town. Halfway through the night, Stephen was playing turkey in the straw on his fiddle when Ava went to the refreshment table to make up a sandwich and a cup of coffee for Carol. She would bring him a refreshment to the car. With her hands full, Ava made her way across the dance floor towards the front door. Alice Shea, a local woman who was dancing, jostled her arm and some of the coffee spilled on Alice's pink dress. Oops. Eva made her way outside with the sandwich and cup of coffee to her husband who was still in the car. Here dear, here is something to eat. Carol thanked his bride. She waved and returned to the dance floor. He had a few bites of his sandwich while he waited for the hot coffee to cool down and he blew into it and took a sip. He made a strange face. He took another drink and another. Then he dropped the cup. This episode is brought to you by our main sponsor, Columbia Mercantile 1855. Columbia's Historic Park's Main Street's Grocery Store. Teresa, the owner, carries a mix of quality international and local products that replicate diverse provisions of when Columbia was California's second largest city. I love the selection of hard kombucha they have there. That's my favorite. And for my musician friends that are always playing at open mic or the gazebo jams on Tuesday, Make sure you remember that Teresa has a little basket of tuners, picks, strings, anything you might need. The Columbia Mercantile 1855 is located in Columbia State Historic Park at 11245 Jackson Street. And it's a great place to keep our local economy moving. At a time like this, it is so important to shop local and the Columbia Mercantile 1855 is friendly, welcoming, fairly priced, and accepts EBT. Open daily. Now, back to Tuttletown. A few minutes after midnight, rancher Frank Shell and a group of his friends were smoking in front of the schoolhouse on the night of the dance. The men stopped mid-conversation when they began to hear groans of distress. Frank Shell realized it was coming from a nearby parked car and followed the sound. He found Carol doubled over and shouted to him, What's the matter? Are you sick? Carol mumbled to Shell, That coffee, bitter, get my father. Frank Shell opened the door, picked up the vet, and carried him into the schoolhouse. Shell was yelling as he burst through the front door. Steve! Steve Rablin, your boy is sick! The music in the Tuttletown schoolhouse stopped and everyone heard Carol cry out in pain. Stephen threw his fiddle down, jumped off the platform, and rushed through the crowd towards his son. Ava had rushed from the kitchen where she had been helping clean up. She stood and watched the action play out around her, seemingly terrified. 
She finally attempted to hold her husband down as he was thrashing around, but Frank Shell picked Carol up, carried him outside, and placed him on the ground. Carol reached out for his father's hand and told him one last time, Papa, that coffee was awfully bitter. His words faded as he slipped into an unconscious state. Emergency services arrived 45 minutes later with Tuolumne County Sheriff Jack H. Dambacher, who pronounced Carol B. Rablin dead at the scene. Ava rode along quietly as the ambulance took her husband's body to Coroner Terzich. Dr. Bromley, who we talked about in the open mic episode, had built a two-story hospital called the Bromley Sanitarium. It later became known as the Sonora Hospital. Dr. Bromley performed the autopsy on Carol Rablin's body and sent Rablin's stomach contents to the University of California for analysis. Foul play was not obvious and it was assumed that Carol had died of natural causes. But Steve Rablin did not buy it. He stormed Dambacker's headquarters, demanding that the search continued. Sheriff Dambacker returned to the Tuttletown Schoolhouse on May 1st, 1929, the day of Carol Rablin's funeral. After an hour of searching, which turned up nothing, he placed his hat on his head and turned to leave the scene. He paused. On the ground in a bush, near where Rablin's car had been parked, was a small medicinal bottle from Biglow's drugstore. It read, Strychnine. This episode is also brought to you by Sonora Florist, who has been providing our community with beautiful flower arrangements for whatever the occasion since the early 1950s. You can visit sonoraflorist.com or search for them on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram, and there's a special website for wedding florals. Visit SincerelySonoraFlorist.com to see their wedding work. Thank you, Sonora Florist. And if you've not checked out the mural on the side of the shop, on the corner of Washington and Bradford in downtown Sonora, in honor of the local Chinese history, do so. It was a fight to get it up, and it was worth it. And this episode is also brought to you by the Law Offices of Charles B. Smith. If you're facing criminal charges in California, the most important thing you can do is obtain legal counsel from an aggressive criminal defense lawyer that you can trust. The Law Office of Charles B. Smith has effectively handled thousands of cases. Charles is intimately familiar with the investigative techniques that the police and prosecutors use and is able to look at your case and see defenses that the others can and do miss. Visit cbsattorney.com for more information. Even during the prohibition, no one liked attorneys. But Charles, you will love. Okay, back to Tuttletown.
After finding the empty bottle of strychnine at the scene of the crime, Dambacker headed to Bigelow's drugstore to question the clerk about the recent purchases of the poison. There had been only one purchase of the substance that week. To a Mrs. Joe Williams, who lived on a chicken ranch near the junction of the Sonora Mono Road and the road to Soulsbyville, at about 10 o'clock in the morning of Carol's death. The purchase was under the pretext of the need for poisoning gophers. When the drugstore clerk described the appearance of Mrs. Joe Williams, it was the exact description of Ava Brandon. Ava had been staying with Mrs. Jasper Shell after the incident and Dan Becker headed to the Shell's Hale Ranch. She came outside and the sheriff told her they were going on a ride with Constable Hoskins to the drugstore. The employees that were present when she bought the poison for 50 cents were Walter Ronton and Mrs. Warren Sahi. They told the officers that Ava was the woman who bought the bottle. Dan Becker made the clerks aware that their certainty would end up in a murder charge, and they took a second look and were positive. Ava was immediately accused of murder. She vigorously denied the charges, saying her husband was brokenhearted over his health problems and had surely poisoned himself. She demanded the sheriff bring her home, but Jack Dambacker told Ava she was not going home for a long time. At the sheriff headquarters, Carol's father, Stephen, insisted that he suspected his daughter-in-law had killed his son over a $3,500 insurance policy. For reference, $3,500 is the equivalent of almost $56,000 in 2021. Stephen Rablin told the deputies he believed that Ava found her victims through mail order bride advertisements. He suggested she surely killed her last husband, who was also a mail order groom named Hubert Brandon. Ava was formally charged with premeditated murder on the following day in a complaint signed by Stephen Rablin. Her twin sister, Effie, had been working night and day to prove someone else bought the poison. And Effie insisted that the two were deeply in love and that Ava was miles away when the poison was bought. Sonora's Dr. Bromley conducted the autopsy and sent Carol's stomach to Western Laboratories in Oakland to be tested by poison by the famed scientist Edward O. Heinrich. Local coroner Terzich attended the testing. Heinrich was a famous American criminologist in the 1920s, known as the Wizard of Berkeley, America's Sherlock Holmes, and the Edison of crime detection. He was an extraordinarily skilled criminologist who almost single-handedly installed a systematic and scientific level of criminal investigation. The motherlode was seething with controversy. Everyone had their own opinion on whether it was murder, suicide, or natural causes. Ava sat calmly in jail for a week proclaiming, why would I kill my husband? I never poisoned him. The San Joaquin attorney, Charles H. Vance, offered to defend Ava, telling her that no hick sheriff or county prosecutor would ever be able to convict her. The entire case was heavily covered in extreme detail in the papers as front page news. The trial for the murder of Carol Rablin was so largely attended on June 10, 1929, the hearing was held outside at an open air dance pavilion where there was no shortage of space. 
Ava arrived on the arm of her attorney and quickly pleaded not guilty. Her defense focused on the mental state of the husband and wife. Carol, they claimed, was suicidal. His first wife was there to testify that she had also heard him make suicidal remarks in the past. The defense stated that Ava was a manic depressive with developmental disabilities, leaving her with an IQ equal to her 11-year-old son. The opposition took the stage. An insurance agent from Oakdale was called on as a witness, testifying that he had called on Carol the day before he died to let him know his insurance would soon expire, and he had refused to renew the policy under Ava's name. Next, a handwriting expert proved the signature on a drugstore's registry with Ava's handwriting. Perfect match. It wasn't looking good for Ava. Forensic science was still new, and forensic science using DNA would not be used to solve a crime until 1984, but it was forensics and chemical analysis that cracked this case in 1929. Edward O. Heinrich was called to the stand. He proved to the judge and the curious audience that there was strychnine in Carol's stomach, on the coffee cup, and on this coffee stain that was left on Alice Shea's dress. Ava's team's mood changed when they suddenly realized the strong case against her. And the crowd was shocked when suddenly Ava took the stand and changed her plea to guilty. She told the judge the war had left horrific effects on her husband. He constantly victimized himself and complained about his ailments. Quarrels, quarrels, I was sick and tired of them. We talked things over, it was decided we should both commit suicide. But I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was exhausted by my husband's suicidal tendencies. He constantly talked about self-harm and asked me to kill him. Finally, I decided to poison him. It was the best way out, I thought. Now they want to hang me? I could only put him out of the way because I felt it was the only way to get my freedom. <laughs> Her confession eliminated the need for trial and Ava Brandon Rablin was sentenced to life in prison at San Quentin for murder without the possibility of parole. By pleading guilty, she evaded the death penalty. Sheriff Danbacker and his wife escorted her to the ferry that would take her to the penitentiary. She was all smiles as she told the couple, I feel fine, not a bit tired, I'm not at all downhearted or discouraged. Effie was there with Ava's son, 11-year-old Albert Lee, so he could say farewell to his mother. She held him in a cold embrace. I'll be all right, she told him. I'm going to study Spanish. I've always been crazy to learn Spanish. Then if I get along well with that, I can take on other subjects. Reporters on hand at the ferry dock asked her why she killed Carol. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why I confessed to putting strychnine in my husband's coffee. I told the court all I want to tell. Ava boarded the ferry that would transport her to San Quentin and looked to the distance as the ferry left the shore. She disappeared behind the prison walls to spend the rest of her life never again to be free. Well, never say never. Nine years later, on January 27, 1938, against the recommendations of the Tuolumne County Superior Court and officials at prison, she applied for parole. 
You see, she was one of the original prisoners transferred from San Quentin to the California Institute for Women at Tehachapi. She had served longer than most of the other criminals that had been incarcerated there. Parole was granted. The forgotten woman left the prison walls and was whisked away in a car that was waiting for her outside. I guess we will never know what Ava's true motive was. Was she insane? As her own lawyers would have argued? Did Carol poison himself and she took the blame? Did he ask her to do it? Was it for the $3,500 as Stephen believed? Or is there a story still untold? What do you think? John Henry or Jack Dambacker, whose tenure as sheriff from 1922 to 1946 was the longest in county history. He was known by his nickname, the Black Hat, apparently after his iconic headwear. Uh, that big new county jail is named the J.H. Dambacker Detention Center. He was originally buried in Sonora's Mountain View Catholic Cemetery, but was disinterred and moved to the Casa Benito Mausoleum in Stockton. Carol Rablin, his mother, his father Stephen, are buried in the Sonora City Cemetery. Heinrich was buried at the Chapel of the Chimes Columbarium and Mausoleum, which is a hot topic on Queens of the Mines over there at Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland, my favorite. All right, love you all. Be safe, get vaccinated, wear a mask, stay positive and act kind. Thank you for taking the time to listen today Subscribe to the show so we can meet again weekly on Queens of the Minds. Queens of the Minds is a product of the Eureka Podcast Network and was written, produced, and narrated by me, Andrea Anderson. Go to queensoftheminds.com to buy the book and more. Bye.